Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Indeed, there is. And good morning. Good morning, honey. Good morning. And the war goes on. Are you ready to talk about deadly assumptions? Let's let's go for it. You pray and let's let's roll. Okay. Father God, we thank you for this very beautiful day that you are God. We declare your kingdom come, your will be done. Oh God, on earth, in and through us, as it's being done and declared in heaven. Father, I ask that you'd give us wisdom and counsel that we'd speak as the oracles of God, that you'd cause people to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the revelation of your love and your truth through your word. Your word is the truth, Lord God, and you cannot lie. And so I thank you, Jesus, for those who are willing to change their paradigms, consider your word as the standard of truth and excellence and judgment and justice, and that the revelation of Jesus Christ is um, our hope, our future, our salvation. I thank you, Jesus, for giving us power over all the power of the enemy and believing that there really is an enemy who is out there to destroy, kill, and and steal. And I thank you, Jesus, for the promises that no weapon formed against us will prosper so that there will be no retaliation against us for taking on the, the battle um, that you have already won. And so I pray, Father God, that as Jesus Christ has been our faithful witness to tell us the truth, you'd lead us and guide us through your spirit in this time together today and cause people to listen and hear, and understand, and to be set free. Amen. 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 Well, what, where are we here? We're talking about assumptions. Yeah, deadly assumptions. Assumptions, presumptions. Now, assumptions uh, can get us into a lot of trouble, but what exactly are assumptions? How well, would we define those? I would define it. Actually, I did define it in my book, Taking the Devil to Court, as to deny the truth is to embrace the lie. And so a lot of people are making assumptions, but let's go to the dictionary for a minute and see what the dictionary has to say about assumptions. Assumption, something taken for granted, something believed to be true without proof. In logic, it's something that's, un, it's an unproven, unproved starting point, something taken as the starting point of a logical proof or explanation. Um, it means to assume or it means to suppose or to think that something is true, even though you have no evidence taking responsibility for something or a role or a, fu- or a function, to pretend something, uh, to hide some, some true feelings. Assumptions are, are making judgments based on our assumptions. That's one of the things we fall into as a deadly trap. But also let's define the word presume, because presume and assume are kind of the same. Presume to accept that something is virtually certain to be correct, even though there is no proof of it. Again, we see the idea of there being no proof or no evidence. To behave arrogantly or disrespectfully uh, or overconfidently as to do something without being entitled or qualified to do it. So we're making assumptions, presumptions, taking on um, activities or uh, making judgments and things that we're not qualified to make. Um, To regard something as true. Without proof, again, without proof, to exploit the generosity of someone is to take advantage of them. For example, 
taking advantage of the generosity of God, presuming that, you know, his silence or his lack of immediate judgment or the fact that he blesses both both the, the evil and the just is an assumption or presumption that we're fine, we're good, and, and we've got God's blessing. Well, you said uh, part of the definition is there's a starting point. Right. So right. if your starting point is wrong, it's mm-hmm. like how 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 are you going to get to if you look up your you know GPS or something right. and you don't have yeah. the correct starting point, yeah. uh, how are you going to get to where you need to be? Right. Right. So this this is really if if your starting point is is totally off. Right. And and often the origin the origin mm-hmm. is 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 incorrect or faulty. Then where then are you our gonna directions going yeah. to be bad? Destination. We're not going to get to our destination. That's exactly what I say. And oftentimes, aren't we this way, Marjorie? That where our assumptions and our presumptions, we consider those things to be true or sacred, or or sacred. It's mm-hmm. like an opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, we consider our opinions to be sacred. And and, uh, and and we operate according to often uh, to these things that are just totally untrue. Well, it's kind of like we 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 base our assumptions off of the information that we are being given, and we put together that information through our mind, our thoughts, our, our experiences. But the information that we're being given is the worldview, is deception, treachery, uh, uh, propaganda, actually to promote the diabolical worldview that the enemy wants us to assume. Yeah, well, that's assume. it. A, a, a worldview that has been uh, presented to us or imposed upon us through our you know, education, mm-hmm. through our experiences, mm-hmm. through the input of various uh, media. And so well, what we're talking about, too, is we can live... Uh, an entire worldview, how we see the world, how we see ourselves, based on totally faulty information. Deliberate, deliberately faulty. There is a diabolical intelligence behind what is going on here, and this is a conspiracy. It is the world, what, where we, uh, you know, be uh, being here, uh, where we come from, God, the whole thing. It, they, the devil wants us to believe it's an accident. It's a cosmological accident uh, that's brought through big bangs and random chances. And that is like so stupid to believe that. I mean, we have to really shrink our mind down, just like we have to really shrink our mind down to assume that a stick or a stone or an idol or offering to an idol blood or food or prayer or whatever is really superior to us because we're the one who has to carve out the idol or carry the food to it or uh, we're the one who does all the talking, but obviously we're making assumptions that are based on ignorance and deliberate deception. Um, if we could go for a minute to the word, I would. I really got blessed looking at this stuff this morning. Um, in Psalm, let's start with Psalm tw- twelve. And you know what, people? I tell you what, you're going to have to read the Bible. You're just going to have to start reading the Bible. Bless. I'm not assuming you're not. Okay. I'm not presuming you're not, but I'm saying it is a fact that if you're going to, for example, you know, measure uh, uh, or build a house or measure some length of distance, you're going to have to use a standard measure. You know, there has to be a standard for truth. You are weighing or measuring your beliefs or assumptions or ideas um, 
against a valid measurement. They ha- there has to be a, valif- a validity, uh, um, a verification of the truth. So if you're using, like, for example... A constant and accurate standard. Of, uh, yeah, that's... A measure. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, exactly. For example, you set up um, the... whether If you're going to use a measure length, you're going to use maybe a yardstick or a ruler or a mile or something. You're going to use something that is standard and universally accepted. And some of these measurements, like, for example, the yard, well, who says it has to have three feet in it? Well, that's what they all decided on. So that becomes an accepted standard. However, there are standards with God that are beyond our, uh, you know, God doesn't care how long your yardstick is. But it really is helpful if everybody's yardsticks are the same length, well, especially if you're going to build a house together. If you're going to build a house and say um, uh, one person has, a, yeah. they have three different tape measures. One has a, a, a yeah. 10 inch foot, one has an 8 inch foot, one has a 2 inch foot. Uh, what how, that house cannot well, be constructed, and that's kind of how in we our do it. in our logical common sense, we know that we have to have some universal standards of measurement and weight in order to do business, to to exchange goods. And things like that, the, the the value of a dollar, for example, or the the measurements and the, the weight, weight, the weight of something. Yeah, yeah. you know, in, in one of the most chaotic, horrible, tragic uh, accounts in the scripture is in the book of Judges, and there's a phrase repeated there over and over. In those days, there was no king in Israel, mm-hmm. and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. So people were living by assumptions, opinions, whatever mm-hmm. I feel, whatever Chaos. I think, and it's the most one of the most depressing books of the Bible because <laughs> it was just a, a a cycle of 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 error and destruction. Well, and that's part of that is because the people did not consider the Word of God as the standard unit of measure uh, to measure truth to determine truth because they were uh, making assumptions based on. Everybody else's opinion, their own opinion. Um, but let's look at Psalm 12 for a second. And then I know you've got some examples in the Bible, too, of other things where people made assumptions. But it says, um, it starts out, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. Isn't that true? Where we are today. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. I think those with, that bear the truth are being uh, intimidated, pushed into a corner, um, there's, they're being labeled, they're being shut up and shut down. Uh, the sons of men, the faithful are disappearing from among the voices of the media and uh, the masses. They speak idly, everyone to his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. Can we look at this? They speak idly, everyone to his neighbor. What do we chit-chat about these days? About basically nothing of consequence. You know, we've got our social media gadgets and um, devices, opportunities, Facebook, Twitter. We're, we're just idle chatter. It's not real. I mean, I, I'm not saying we cannot use these devices it's to like, speak to. It's like all my dog burped twice this morning before <laughs> he had his food. I mean, I mean, some of it is just ridiculous. But idle, right? idle, worthless, uh, pointless, help, help, not helpful. They speak idle everyone to his neighbor with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. Flattering lips and a double heart. And then it says in verse 3, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said with our tongues, we will prevail. And with our lips, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? This becomes the real bottom line question. 
with assumptions and presumptions. Who is Lord over us? We will do what we want to do. We will say what we want to say. We will think what we want to think. We will tell the story the way we want to tell the story. We will end the story the way we want to end the story. It's, we are, we are God. We are our own, actually, we're, own, we're foolish, but... Well, and we, we do this in the name of personal freedom. We think this oh, is, sure, this is, we're free. Mm-hmm. We're free to just to be ourselves, to do what we want to do. Mm-hmm. That's the idea of, of, of freedom, personal freedom. But actually, it's a form of bondage. Well, in going back to the words um, flattery, that's an interesting word, flattery. Um, the word idle words speaks proud things. Um, these are all kind of telling us, well, the Bible says what the heart is full of the mouth speaks. And we have to go back to something that's standard, that's unmovable, that, and that is the word of God. It, it will, it's going to remain. And when you're talking about flattery, for example, I was thinking about how, uh, I know this may not sound like a connection, but people who get taken up who are, are need flattery. They need, you know, this approval, this praise, this, you know, the flattery. Women flatter men. Men need to be flattered, to be uh, respected, elevated, seen as wonderful, great, whatever. And oftentimes that open door of need, vulnerability to need flattery and endorsement, recognition, affirmation, uh, is an open door for witchcraft. Witchcraft is, is someone who will come in and flatter you. And they will bring, uh, you know, oh, you're the greatest pastor or you're the, the most awesome, da-da-da, whatever. And behind that, there's deceit and treachery. It's They're just using it as a trap. It's yeah. like baiting a mouse trap. Mm-hmm. You're putting on that mouse trap, the peanut butter that you know the most. You're flattering the mouse to think he just found the, the, the find of the day. And you've flattered him. And now you're going to flatten him because he walked into the trap. And also proud things with the, you know, when we're speaking arrogant things, we're not walking in humility. We're not walking in the revelation of who we are and the greatness of God and gratitude. We're offer, walking in more of a place of um, assumption again, presumption. I can do this. It's up. I, I've got it. It's, I don't need you. Um, and then when he says help for the godly man ceases, the Lord sees that in these days, what is, what is, we're fading the, the, the confidence, the conviction, um, the uh, non-conforming, uh, the men and women who stand for what they believe and believe and know the truth, they seem to be fading or ceasing. Fading out and ceasing because a lot of it has to do, Marjorie, with the fear of man. Oh, yeah. We're mm-hmm. so... Freedom and fear of man, We're right? so afraid of what people will think of us. Mm-hmm. We're... we're, uh, we're our, our, sense of worth is kind of based on how people perceive. speak to us and elevate us and perceive us or how we perceive they perceive us. Yes, yes. And so and so we're uh, elated or deflated uh, inflated <laughs> or, <laughs> or deflated, de- deflated yeah. based on the the uh the the hypocritical and and flattering uh, uh flattering and the fickle yeah. uh, opinions yeah. of me because the people that praise you one minute can mm-hmm. curse you the next. That's so true. We see yeah. that everywhere in um, the arenas where people are trying to be heroes or, um, you know, stars or whatever. Well, Jesus said, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. He yeah. was talking to his disciples. So if, if, if everybody thinks you're just the greatest thing since, uh, mm, 
Well, since know. the beginning, you are since it. You are gone. all it. You're, yeah, right. <laughs> but going back to um, you're in trouble. Going back to the Psalms again, um, it, it, the Lord says in verse six of Psalm twelve, He says, "The words of the Lord are pure, pure words, like silver tried in the furnace, tried." And I believe that you know, in the olden days, a man's handshake, a man's word, was his bond. Um, the, the words were pure. A, a man of integrity would speak. And those words that came out of his mouth were his word, his promise, his uh, um, declaration to keep his word. And <clears throat> the words of the Lord are pure words tried in the furnace of affliction or the, tried in the furnace of earth. It says, now, did you ever think of the earth as being like a furnace? Like we're all in this fiery furnace where we're being tried. Our words are being tried. Our intentions, our motivations, our lives are being tried to purify, actually to purify them. We look at it like, this furnace is intended to, be, to burn us up, but God is intending to burn up the dross, the, the wasteful, idle words, wasteful things, and to bring us into a place of purity and refinement. Well, the world is not, not, a, it's not a playground. It's a battleground, and it's a proving ground. And that's how that's we right. have to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yes, there are times we enjoy you know, pleasure and you know, legitimate pleasures that there are and the beauty of creation and so forth, but it is it is really a battleground. Remember our, our dear old uh, disciple maker, mm-hmm. uh, George Nelson, many years ago used to say that, that this world is the dressing room for eternity. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so we are here being prepared. Uh, we are eternal beings created in the likeness and the image of God. So some, you know, we are getting ready for how Heaven. we will do in eternity and how we do here in the grace and power of God determines uh, how we will be in heaven. for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Well, it says in the words of the Lord are purified seven times. Um, you shall keep them, O Lord, or you shall preserve them from this generation forevermore. The wicked prowl on every side. The wicked, vile, wicked uh, agreements, uh, legislation, uh, discussions, talk shows, uh, out of the mouths of our legislators and our leaders come these perverse, vile uh, words that have twisted and perverted and disregarded the commandments of God and the word of God, well, the commandment of love, the law of love. Right. You know, so the wicked prowl on every side when, the, when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Now, that's what we have now. Mm-hmm. We have vileness is exalted and defended and promoted as, promoted as mm-hmm. constitutional rights, mm-hmm. and anybody that speaks against vileness oh, yeah. is vilified as uh, being a hater, a hater, yeah. phobic of some sort. But these are assumptions again, and we, and again, we have to be careful in making assumptions that we're not taking on the job of the judge, and that would be a, a place where we are um, not entitled. We're not entitled to take that place. And James says. Uh, for there's one lawgiver, uh, James 4:12, one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So in in making assumptions, uh, we have to be careful that you know we leave and reserve the job the job of judging to God. That's why God says forgive, turn away from making those judgments so that the enemy doesn't judge us. But going back um, to Psalm 14, verse one, and by the way, I just noticed that Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are pretty much the same psalm. Uh, it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. 
there is none that does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none that does good, no, not one. And that's also reflected again in Romans 3. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people, they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. It's interesting that these people, God called them fools. The fool is the one who says there's no God. And how many people make the assumption today that God is dead? There is no God. I don't need him. He's not there. There's, I, I, you know, I'm just going to read a few assumptions I, I put together quickly last night. Um, the assumptions, let's, for example, a little won't hurt me. A little indulgence in this or that, whether it's food or substances or pleasures that are forbidden, a little won't hurt me. Or another assumption, I can handle it. You know, I've got it. I don't need help. I've got this. You know, how many people rebel against God's help and assistance because they think they have to prove something to someone themselves or God. And so they don't really want God's help because they're trying to prove that they're valid, that they're able, that they're capable, that they're worthy. Um, Heaven and hell and God are defined by our feelings, opinions, or preferences, and the worldview that we are ascribing to um, or listening to or or, um, buying into. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no God. Last week we talked about hell. And it's really hard to talk about hell with people who assume there is no hell, that there is no eternal forever destination. It's just now we live, then we die, you know, and we're going into the ground and that's it that this world is all there is. That is a huge, deadly assumption. Um, And another assumption that, you know, the devil crafts these thoughts and and these words and these statements and these questions in our minds oftentimes, and we we don't catch that it is originating, this thought is originating in hell. For example, uh, God won't throw good people into hell, or how could a good God throw people into hell? Um, these are questions that come out of the, I believe, the belly of hell itself to try to create confusion in the midst of the people so that they are not sure and they don't know how to discern what's really going on. But we don't discern the origin of the question, like who's talking to me? Who said that? Where did that come from? Where are you from, you who said that? We assume that every, we assume that every thought we think are thoughts we thought. We assume that our feelings are accurate. We assume our experiences are for real. We are making assumptions based on, on finite things. Well, we make ourselves our own standard. And our own God. Our own, our own formula uh, of, of, our, of how we view life, how we operate. We kind of invent that. And, and we live by that. Well, I think more correctly even is not that we do that, but the devil, when he said to Eve, you will be like God, his promises today are, is just a little tweaked from the original promise instead of you'll be like God, because he was, he couldn't tell Eve, the, you know, about gods because she only knew about one God. Um, so he, today he's saying, however, you will be yeah. like God's. Like gods, you will be your own gods. And this is where you're talking about self comes in. I am assuming that that is the goal for me to become self-acknowledged, self-activated, self-eternally immortal, my own God. And as you're saying, it's that always 
in every situation, we have to look behind what's going on, to the behind red. the appearances, yeah. behind the behaviors, behind the thoughts, behind the presumptions, behind the opinions, and see that there is, like you said, a conspiracy. Yeah. There is there is a force, there's an influence, a personal influence of a person of darkness, Satan with his minions that are working to defile and getting mm-hmm. us to operate on wrong assumptions, on, he, on lies, so that we will miss our destination, yeah, which our, our proper destination mm-hmm. is to be with the Lord forever and ever. But that has been short-circuited because of the enemy's lies, and he wants us to become with him in, in, in hell, the lake of fire, forever. Well, I think he wants us to make the assumption that he does not exist and that this is not a conspiracy, as we kind of re- already referred to. Um, and so if he, if he doesn't exist, then we have no enemy. But really, seriously, people, just with a little bit of common sense. Can you look around and see what's going on and say, we have no problems, we have no enemy? And, and, yet, and yet the enemy, the, being as intelligent and, as he is, and we are no match for his intelligence unless we have the Holy Spirit, his, his, his purpose is to turn us against each other. The Bible says, the standard says, God says, his word says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. But, but the enemy's whole thing is to incite, instigate, uh, irritate, activate riots among people, whether he bases it on color or bathroom preferences. I mean, it's like, give up, people. There is a war and we are not the enemy, and we're, we, but we're turning upon each other when we ne- really need to be banding together to turn against the enemy. And the second thing the devil does is he uses us to promote his own causes at, uh, for our final destruction. He's actually using people, their brains, their intelligence, their fingers, their minds, their resources, their money, um, to put together a, a program, a strategy to build the, the, uh, the events and the system that will, he is ultimately going to use to try to annihilate human beings, to change our DNA, to make us immortal by creating us into machines, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, we are assuming that we're doing all these things for our betterment when that is all a trap, that is all a trick. Mm-hmm. And that's the deception, of course. There's an old song by uh, Keith Green uh, years ago. I think it's called A Dear John Letter to the Devil. And it's like, and one of the lines from that song is, it's, it's, it's as the devil is saying this, it is getting very easy now since no one believes in me anymore. Mm-hmm. So we, we really have to see that it's not just people behaving badly or, or right. we just need more education. We just need more money. We need more food. We need better politicians, something like that. That's that's all surface stuff. We need to know the revelation, the true mm-hmm. revelation of God through his word as our basis of operation and recognize that we are in this intense uh, spiritual battle, battle of mm-hmm. the ages. It's been, it's been going on since the beginning of human history. It's huge. It's huge. Uh-huh. It's monumental. It's epic. And we're part of it, but we don't have to fear that because God has given us 
weapons of our warfare are not carnal, mm-hmm. mighty through M- mighty God, through God to, the pulling, down to pulling down of strongholds. Mm-hmm. We overcome the enemy. Uh, it says in Revelation, I believe it's twelve eleven, by the the blood of the Lamb mm-hmm. and by the word of our testimony, and we love not our lives unto the death. But so uh, you have some more there. Well, Monty. yeah, it's we, like in, in going back to Psalm fourteen. Um, it goes on to say, notice God is commenting on the reprobate, the lostness, the defiling, the turning aside. They've all turned aside. They become corrupt. He again, he again brings us that description in Romans chapter 1 uh, where, where the, he had to give them over to a vile or debased mind because they refused the love of the truth. And Second Thessalonians, the same thing. So what, what is he saying? God is saying because you prefer, because you have chosen, because you believe, you you embrace, you desire the lie rather than the truth. God, then you vote. We have voted at that point. We voted for the lie. And when you vote for the lie, even though you may not know you're voting for the lie, you're voting for what you think you like and is is preferred and what's flattering and what seems to be immediately gratifying. You're voting for that. And and in voting for that, you're voting against God, which makes God the minority and you and Satan, the majority. So when you vote for corruption, and you vote for that, whether it's literally at the at the voting booth or it's just in your passive uh, agreements with these kinds of things uh, going on in your life. And you don't stand up and take uh, an interest in your own life because of fear. We're afraid if I stand up, I'll, I'll stand out. And if I stand out, I'll be picked on and I'll be poked at and, um, you know, maligned and et cetera, et cetera. Well, this is not a contest for popularity down here. This is a contest for truth. But anyway, going into the psalm a little deeper, he says, um, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people like they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? God is saying, you know, all along, since the very beginning, since the fall of Adam and Eve, since the, um, the fallen angels came in unto the women and had offspring generated a, a, a breed of crossbreeds, half fallen angel, half human. Since the idolatry and the perversion of worshiping uh, demons, God has had to put up with that since the very beginning. It was only really through the, through the coming of Jesus Christ that the He made some statements about that and freedom and salvation. But it says, for God. Uh, verse 5 in uh, Psalm 14, for those of you who are anxious, when you're making assumptions, you're going to become extremely anxious. Um, and anxiety says, in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. They're in great fear when there's presumptions, when there's disobedience, when there's disregard for the standard. Then the assumption, anxiety says, well, who can I count on? Where do I go? What's real? What's true? Um you, anxiety comes from building your own world and your worldview on an assumption or an idea that ideas, things, people, situations, promises, uh, professionals, building your world on things that are not true. They're not proven to be true. They're not reliable. They're not unchanging. They're not sure. They're not able to keep you from being moved or swallowed up in the day when the trial comes when truth is going to be required, when there'll be a final examination of all of our presumptions and beliefs in that final judgment. So the problem is we're building our lives on sand and wondering why our house wiggles. We're, we're not, we, we know this. You know this. You know you're, you're 
You'd rather have somebody else tell you what to do, how to get better, what pills to, how to spend your free time, where to, um, you know, show up, what to, you're, you're, don't want to make these choices. And then we come, become anxious because we're not building our life on what is solid and unmovable. And that is the Lord God. So if we're in anxiety, it says they were in great fear. Why? Because they were corrupted, because they were not considering the truth. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Start with your own life and look at the fruit of it. Look at your behaviors. Look at what's coming out of your life and work it backwards. The Bible, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So are you free when you're anxious and worried and wringing your hands and addicted to medications and drugs and uh, addicted to other people's uh, words or being controlled by them, abused by them? Are you free? You, we go back to having to go back to knowing that God is with the generation of the righteous. He will sustain us. He is our salvation. He is the one who's going to bring us back. He says, when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, the, the Lord is the deliverer. He is the truth. He loves you. He knows the fits and the troubles and the cages and the lies that Satan has locked us in. He already knows that. God wants to set us free, but we have to be willing to believe, first of all, that he is, that he is who he says he is, that his word is the only standard of truth, and that he loves us, that he is good, that he is able to deliver us. Well, there's, you know, a lot of biblical examples of uh, uh, unbelief and <laughs> assumption yeah. in, in, in the scriptures. And I think of what you're talking about, Marjorie, about uh, uh, unbelief and rebellion. Uh, remember when the uh, children of Israel were ready to, they, they'd been miraculously delivered from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were God wanted them to go right into the promised land, and they sent out the spies, the twelve spies, and they said, "Oh, you know, ten of the twelve said, no, we can't do it. There's giants in the land." Uh, and then Joshua and Caleb said, "Hey, but we can do it. God's able. Let's go." And the people rebelled and they resisted, and God said, "Okay, you don't want to go in. Basically, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna wander in the wilderness for forty years." And they said, "Oh, you know, well." Uh, yeah, we feel bad about that, and God forgave them, but that he said, don't go up. Don't go try to take the land. And mm-hmm. after their rebellion, then they, they, they said, we, they went up presumptuously. Mm-hmm. They went to the top of the mountain. Disobeyed. He said, don't go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presume, this is in uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 44, but they presume to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. They were not being led. They were being disobedient. The, the, the co- Ark doing of the it on their own. Just, they were doing it mm-hmm. on their own. Mm-hmm. The Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the presence of the Lord with them. And what happened? Um, their anointed leader didn't go with them. They just went up. And then it says, verse 45, then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So, you know, there there was a case where... They assumed they could do it. They assumed I they, can, could, I they can do could do it. Oh, yeah, I've disobeyed, I've rebelled, 
and uh, I really haven't repented of this, but I think I can just go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah. And they got they got really smacked by their enemies. Well, because their obedience would have would have proven their repentance, but they they. It's like I can do this. I can handle this. I can I've do got it. This. I can do, I can do it on my own. Yeah, I can do this, and I think that's part of what we've been trained in our society to believe is well, that. Well, humanism. I can do anything. I can yeah, achieve anything. Yeah. If um, you just have a dream that's big enough, enough mm-hmm. you work hard enough. But there's a lot of people that actually work really have hard. a dream and work very hard and end up on the streets. Right. And so it's not just that, but we right. we again think it's up to me. And I really have to say that the basic lie underneath all of rebellion um, is I can do this and it's up to me. Because rebellion, witchcraft actually is the, the, the chief power we're talking about here. Rebellion and witchcraft say are about power and they're a power source. And nowadays we have people looking for power because they've been so uh, emasculated, disempowered, children especially, youth, uh, and so they look for power, and they're they're hungry to make a statement, to do something. And so the enemy takes their zeal and feeds on that zeal and deceives them, leads them into this this spirit, the playing with witchcraft and that sort of thing, because there is a semblance or an appearance of power. It's a, there's power there, but it's it's a it's a, a temporary, it's a trick to pull them in to make them believe I've got this power, but it only uses their own power ultimately to eat them up and destroy them. That's right. That's right. Uh, we were just watching um, Who is the Devil? Yeah. The documentary that you put together years ago, and you can get it through liferecovery.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, about a one-hour plus uh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, DVD. It was done a few years ago, but the, the principles are still still there, still good. But we, were, uh, as we were watching it uh, a few nights ago, there was this young man that was being interviewed and talked about how he wanted to get into the power and he thought that he was having power over these demons. Mm-hmm. He thought he was in control. That's the idea. Right. Rebellion. The essence control. of rebellion. Right. We are in control. He thought he was in control of these demonic powers and entities and what what freaked him out and he went along with that for a while, but what freaked him out later on was he realized that hey, these things are in control of me. Right. They and were inside of him. He started, yeah, they were inside of him, and he started panicking, and thank God that young man, you know, got out of this, came to know Jesus, mm-hmm. and, and, and got out of that. But that's the deception. We think we have the power, and the power is in control of us when we yield ourselves to Whom the you yield yourself, the, servant, to obey his faith, yes. becomes, so if you're yielding to this, this illusion of power, this what, what, however it presents itself to you or your family, it could be video games, it could be uh, you know, uh, striving, uh, corporate world. It could be any kind of thing where, where you're presented with this temptation to take control and not to re- surrender your control to the Lord God. At that place, you become vulnerable. You know, we don't, uh, We personally, we don't have TV. We watch stuff on the Internet sometimes and check things out. But uh, but there, the commercials... Uh, I'm, I'm told, and at least the last I was looking at TV, it's always about take control. Uh-huh. The ads take control of your health, take control of your Day, time, your take life. control of this. And it's like, you know, you, people feel like, well, we've been victimized. Right. It's time I make a difference. It's time I just get some uh, discipline, make the, you know, buy the right product. 
wear uh, the right clothes, buy the right, the right shoes. Clothes, yeah. I'll take control. I'll make some decisions here. And uh, there's nothing wrong with making decisions, uh, you know, good, healthy decisions. But as far as taking control, the Bible doesn't talk about taking control. But if you're taking control based on an assumption, right? then what happens? Well, you get under more bondage. Yeah. You, you, you get under control rather than you, get you don't take control. You, the more you say and wrong assumptions, the more you think you're taking control, the more you are controlled. Well, and, and, you know, that's exactly right because the enemy is a deceiver and he's an angel of light. And he, uh, I, I also in that video, one of the guys that we interviewed on the street said, um, oh, I asked, well, who is the devil? He said, uh, well, he's your very best friend. He'll be there when you need him. And what the devil does is he creates these situations of great need. And then he comes in as a false benefactor to give you a solution to your problem. And the solution might be for you to take control. However, if you're making an assumption already that you, it's up to me, you are already on the, you're going to have a wrong conclusion because you've already made a deadly assumption that my life is up to me. And it is not. There's nothing ever, any place in the Bible where it says my life is up to me. It says actually in Psalm 16, he says in verse 5, you, O Lord, are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And again, we go back to the fear and anxiety of people being uh, overwhelmed, uh, stressed, uh, angry, uptight, uh, and being moved. They're afraid they're going to be moved uh, or removed. And yet the Lord says, I am your foundation. I am your counsel. I am your inheritance. I will cause you to live and thrive. And even in these days where you know, the enemy actually, and I just heard this yesterday and I agree, that the enemy is moving from the shadows, the demons that lived in the shadows um, in the past, especially in this country, where we're kind of, you know, deny the devil, whatever, that he doesn't exist and he doesn't have any part of my life and don't talk about the devil, you give him too much power and that's weird, et cetera, et cetera. But he is moving out of the shadows and into the everyday life and mainstream of America and society, mm. and people are now seeing demons, they're feeling them, they're see, they're, they're, those these spirits are operating in their houses, in their lives, in their cars, and whatnot. And so it's like the, the demons are becoming more emboldened because we have given them more a, agreement and permission. Yeah, well, the, I believe it's in Ephesians where Paul says, give place to the devil. Yeah. And we have given place to the devil. We have, through our uh, assumptions, presumptions, through our rebellion, through our, the deception that he's brought upon us, we have opened the doors wide to death, to every, mm-hmm. every power of In the fear. enemy possible. We've, we've, we've given him invitations. Are our, our, our the believing lies, <clears throat> believing lies, um, our, our behavior really open up landing strips for mm-hmm. the enemy. Right. And we've got landing strips everywhere these days. Yes, it says in Psalm um, 16 going on, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My heart is glad. My, my, glory, rejo- uh, my, my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Why? 
Uh, because he says, you, the psalmist says, you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Obviously, Sheol or hell, corruption, the end game. What is the end game here? Obviously, it's the final destination. Um, you will show me the path of life. Jesus said, I am the way. He is the path. He is the, it's a narrow way because there's a lot, not a lot of people who take that way. It doesn't mean it's a hard way or a bad way. It's just not very well traveled. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the end game as far as God is concerned. He is going to take care of those who commit themselves to him, who seek his counsel, his wisdom, his word, walk in his word, abide in his word. And Jesus said, you are my disciples indeed if you continue in my, my word. You continue in my word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is no better antidote for anxiety than a good soaking in the word of God. And that doesn't mean you just sit there with a blanked out head. God says, he doesn't, you know, in the Buddhist conditions and Hindu traditions, they try to empty their mind. God doesn't say empty your mind. He says meditate on whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, just, and of good report. And as we fill our, our lives with the word of God, seriously, either you're going to do what's right and you're going to do what you know to be true or you're going to keep living in excuse-making and denial and assumptions and you're going to lose. And you may lose more than you want to lose. You may lose to the point where you can never regain and that would be when we die. After we're dead, there's no regaining what you now know to be the truth and the, and the corruption, the fables, the lies, the, 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 the veil that Satan has, has pulled over the eyes of this world, the ones he was, has wanted to blind and God's crying out with truth, with the revelation of Jesus Christ. And yet, even in that, looking to many of the sources that we look to for truth, um, outside of the word of God, are contaminated or uh, mixed, if you will. We're we're talking about churches. We're talking about uh, even Bible studies. Things that can be uh, great sources of hope and and truth have already also been, um, what's the word, contaminated. So by the by the enemy by corruption so rightly dividing the word understanding that the holy spirit has been sent to lead us into all truth and triumph and to help us to discern cause us to walk in the paths of life that doesn't mean you won't be that that you won't fall down and that you have to be you know absolutely perfect dot every i cross every t or god's going to be mad at you that's not what it's talking about it's talking about following after him just jesus just said follow he didn't say be good he said, follow me, and he will make us good. Psalm 138, 8 says, he will perfect that which concerns me. And that go, brings me to a, another point that um, in assumptions, the, the part of assumptions I don't think we've talked about much yet is about judging. We assume, we make assumptions about other people. Um, and James 4, 1 says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of, the, of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law, but you are not. You are, but if you are a judge of the law, then you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to both destroy and to save. Who are you to judge one another? In, in Romans 14, he talks about let the, the master judge his own servants. We're all servants of God. And so therefore, I think the enemy also uses this, these assumptions, presumptions, lack of empathy, lack of understanding, lack of love to cause us to draw conclusions about those around us that are dead, deadly and destructive. We, we start to backbite. We talk behind their back. Um, and these gives, this 
gives word words to the enemy to use to bring against them, to inflict them, afflict them. So Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Mm-hmm. So often we judge according to appearances. You think of the, the example in uh, Luke chapter 13, yeah. where there was, there was two different, you know, tragic events that had happened. Um, he says, um, uh, Luke 13 is beginning with verse 1 through verse 5. Now there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And evidently, some of these people were killed, unjustly killed by a wicked ruler and, uh, you know, mixed with some sort of sacrifice, pagan sacrifice or something. Verse 2 and Jesus answered to, said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were sinners more than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or on those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that these, they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, sometimes we think, okay, people uh, that are in, you know, caught in a hurricane or earthquake or something, they were so, they must have been so wicked or so bad. Now, there there can be times when there are these things come as a result of idolatry, sin, wickedness, and stuff like that. But not always the case. Mm-hmm. Jesus said in this, in these cases, he says these were not people that were just so bad that. God was just, you know, crushing him, destroying him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that reminds me of that is the kind of um, the whole premise of the book of Job, that the, the, the assumption there was that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And if you're karma. bad, that was karma. A, it was yeah. a karma thing. Yeah. And if you're bad, it's obviously that, you know, these these bad things are happening to you because you are bad. And so Jesus was trying to straighten that out, saying, no. Uh, there's no such thing as karma because good things happen to bad people. A lot of bad people get really blessed. You never notice that? And a lot of really good people have really horrible things happen to them. They're persecuted. Mm-hmm. And so we have to understand that there are there are two givers of gifts. One is God and one is the enemy. And the enemy knows how to reward the unrighteous to keep them placated, to keep them deceived, to keep them going on following him. Actually, sometimes having hardship and need and, and being pressed on every side is a good thing because it turns people to God. They come to God. They surrender. They come to their senses, so to speak, as the prodigal son. So really an assumption here is that, you know, we make assumptions about spiritual things all the time. We make assumptions about people, places, things, words, situations. How, how things should be, how, how answers to prayer should come. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. You know, yeah. Well, because we're, we're we're moving out of our place, we're 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 uh, assuming places, uh, you know, that we're not entitled to take. We're taking positions, we're exploiting uh, situations, and taking advantage uh, things that we are not entitled to do. We're not entitled to be the judge of all the earth. Now, in John chapter nine, beginning with verse one, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they 
had some understanding of generational curses here. Mm-hmm. Okay, evidently. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And then Jesus said, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So in this case, he said it wasn't the sin of the parents. Or the iniquity of the uh, generation. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but he said it was that the works of God should be revealed in him. So there was a, uh, you know, a, a spiritual uh, uh, presumption here. Well, this this guy obviously, yes. you know, they were judging the appearance and looking. They were not judging according to the appearance, but they were looking behind the appearance of this man, who was blind and born blind. But they were still incorrect in their uh, discernment of the situation. Well, and I think here's another place we discern, we incorrectly assume or presume or discern, is like when we pray for the sick. Uh, some people assume that healings are no more, deliverance is not any more needed. Those things went out with the 12 apostles in the, in the book of Acts. That was the end of all that. And so today when we pray for people, a lot of times we'll, we'll tag on it if it's God's will. Well, you know, we, we we're assuming that God does not want to heal that person, which then calls the character of God into question. Why would God not want to heal that person? Well, then you assume, well, God wouldn't want to heal them because they don't deserve it or because they're bad or because God is bad himself because he doesn't want to um, do a good thing right now. So uh, unfortunately, I, I think in terms of what's going on in the world right now, the more we make assumptions and presumptions, assumptions and presumptions, the more we try to use our own reasoning to figure things out, the the less we believe what God says God says, you know, he to believe him for miracles, for healings. Um, he's not willing that any should perish. We don't believe in miracles anymore because we can't put our mind around it. We can't wrap our mind around a miracle. And so, therefore, we're content to live without them. And I think that's why we don't have them because we – but the devil does miracles to this to this very day and more and more every day because they're tricks. They're magic tricks to him. Magic tricks, smoke and mirrors, and these psychic healings that people go and get at, run after, they don't last. But the devil can do them because all the devil has to do, and the reason he can do miracles, is because when he removes the demon of pain or the demon that's holding, creating the tumor or the demon that's whatever he's doing, when he commands that demon to move, go, go over there and stand over there so we can prove to them that you know we're good, it's just, it's more smoke and mirrors. It's more treachery, trickery to get you to believe, to follow after something that is a lie. And so the devil can move demons from here and there to make it look like there's a healing or a change or something when it does not last. But with God, the miracles come because of his goodness, not because he wants to trick us, but because notice when Jesus was here, all the miracles he did, he didn't necessarily do any of them for good people. They were all pretty much for normal people, ordinary people who were stuck in terrible places. And so a lot of times we say, well, if it's God's will, we're assuming that we don't want to assume on God's goodness, presume on God's goodness. But God's goodness is something I want to assume. I want to know. I want to stand on it. I want to not only presume it, but I want to base my life on the goodness of God because it doesn't change. God is good all the time. 
And he's not willing, like I said, that any should perish. He is for us. He's not against us. However, in what the devil has done, he's made it fe- us feel like, think, look at the experiences we or others have had and conclude from that that God is not here. God doesn't care. God is far away. Um, I have to, you know, like I said, do it myself. Uh, and this, this opens the whole bunch of doors for a whole bunch of other assumptions like um, that, that bring it all down to death and destruction. So basically, going back to kind of summarizing and wrapping up, what we're saying is the, the basic assumption, the assuming, based things, denying the truth, assuming and believing the lie. That there is no God, that God doesn't care, God isn't there, God's word isn't true, God isn't going to do what he says. There's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no, no final outcome or destiny. I don't matter, it doesn't matter. I can do what I want to do, I have to stay in control of my life, it's up to me. I can handle it myself. All of these things bring us to the final, ultimate conclusion, which is destiny. Where are you going to end up? Heaven or hell? You can play these mind games with yourself, and the devil is more than happy to play them with you. He's more than happy to reinforce the lies. He knows just how to do it. His timing is pretty good. He knows how to bring the wrong person into your life at the right time, when you're vulnerable, when you need someone to love you, whatever. And he can set you up with what you think you need and want. He can give it to you on a golden platter, but ultimately it's all for your own destruction. And the only way you're going to know that or recognize that is by going into the word of God and truly rightly dividing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. What you're saying here, honey, is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 11 through uh, 13. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. In other words, I, I did it. That's another I assumption. Got, I got by with it. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. You know, God's just going to let this go. It's going to be okay. But then what? here's what he says in the next ver, uh, two verses. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it would be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. So uh, so the fear of God, the fear of God means that you're actually trusting, believing in his word, what he says, taking it to heart, taking it seriously, making it the priority, uh, the basis of your decisions and your choices, rather than your feelings, your thoughts, your reasoning, uh, other people's opinions or presumptions or your experience. Mm-hmm. Psalm 19, verses 12 through 14. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Mm-hmm. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Mm -hmm. And he concludes, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. That's a good place to end today, but do we ever end? Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. 
this psalmist, David, I believe it was, was so aware of the possibility of being deceived and knowing that he was not the one who was going to write his own course or correct his own course, and that he had to continually look to the Holy Spirit for that protection and understanding because we can all be caught making assumptions or judgments. And you know what? That's the blindness. As part of the, the problem is the spiritual blindness that goes with judgments, that goes with um, assumptions, is you don't see it. And so, Father God, we just ask you right now in your kindness and your mercy to cause us to understand the error of our ways, that each one listening will be brought to the place where they can, we can all be cleansed from secret sins, assumptions, presumptions, and faults, that we will truly know that we know what we know, and that you will cause us to walk in your righteousness and your truth and to do exploits. You said in Daniel, those that know their God will do exploits in those days. So, Father, I pray for a blessing upon each one, that no one will be caught in that delusion, that deception, that cunning crafted, uh, cunningly crafted trap Satan has set for them, but that they will come into the place of the Son of Righteousness, will arise with healing in his wings and uh, deliverance, peace, peace from anxiety, peace from accusation, uh, that you, Lord God, know our hearts, you know the truth, you know what's going on, and you are willing to share it with us. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.